We're here as we continue on the discipleship journey on Wednesday nights as we continue here. And we are going to be touching on uh, step 51 through 54 tonight. Um, I think we'll just take a few more. And uh, the subject is forgiveness. I think I told you that if you would hang with me and keep showing up, we will get through those very heavy, heavy topic of sin or dealing with self. And dealing with self, we see, can come in many different forms of sin, of self-belittlement, self-exaltation, self-pity. We would see it play out in people's lives with envy and jealousy and covetousness and greed. And there's some light topics of discussion over the last few weeks. And I said, if you continue to hang with me, we're just going to help you through this if it pertains to you specifically, but or and prepare you to help others that God has brought in your life to help them through this. And tonight we're going to talk about forgiveness. So we're going to be going through this, uh, you know, to help you through the process of dying to self and then implementing a in good in how to be implementing as a good stewardship of the things that God has given you. And you must move on to the part of forgiveness. And then the following week, we will talk about reconciliation. And those are the next two topics on our journey uh, with the discipleship journey. If you would, turn to Matthew 22, verse 36. We're just going to read 36 through 40 as our platform to kind of launch off into the theme of forgiveness and of course tonight you've probably already figured out you, you take notes very quickly as we go through many scriptures given to you so <clears throat> Matthew 22 verse 36 teacher which is the great commandment in the law Jesus said to him you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Father, again, we thank you for this evening, Lord, and as we open up your word and open up the topic here of forgiveness, we want to pour over your scriptures and topics and learn of the uh, nuggets and things that we must hold on to and understand as true from your scripture and may apply to our hearts and our minds to learn and to grow and to change, but use it not only just for us, Lord, but to help others as well, our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. So again, we thank you for this evening, Lord, to be able to gather here in your name. We praise you and we lift your name on high. Holy Spirit, uh, reveal these truths to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now we take a look at this. We're going to get into this interpersonal problems that people face in their lives. And one of those in per, in, uh, interpersonal problems is learning how to love your neighbor. Loving our neighbor is something very difficult for us to do. In some cases, it's pretty easy because they're lovable. 
<laughs> and when we talk about neighbor, understand, and most all of you do if you're here listening, a neighbor not doesn't pertain to your neighbor to the left or the right of you. But that pertains to not only your children, but your boss and your spouse. And it's everybody that God is, that's around in part of your life, in, in the inner circle or the outer circle, or even the furthest of distance of a, a complete stranger. The question is, how do you as a Christian come to a point in your life, in your walk with Christ, that his love dominates you in a way that causes you to love your neighbor, those that are around you? And some of the biggest challenges I find working with people who are trying to go through a very difficult and very traumatic past of, of their life is the word of forgiveness, being able to forgive those who traumatically brought through something through something that was horrible, absolutely horrible, but that doesn't justify for us to not forgive as a Christian. And so tonight I pray that this tonight you'll have the scriptures to help you to mend, to heal, and to move on. And yes, we will talk next week, Lord willing, unless the Lord comes back and takes us home, and it's, then it solves all of our problems. But at that point in time, we'll go into reconciliation so that you can understand those two go together. I just don't have the time tonight. I do have time tonight. Just you don't have the time to endure tonight to go through two different subjects. So we're going to show love to my neighbor here this evening and just only take one topic. And that is the practice, and I do say practice, the practice of Christ-like love in the distinctive as a distinctive characteristic of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ it's a very distinct characteristics of a true disciple of Christ that they have a Christ like love didn't didn't say your type of love or the world's love i said a Christ like love that has been developed in and through you by the spirit of god and that is part of loving others biblically, faithfully, and consistently forgiving of them indicates that your what? Your thankfulness and understanding of God's forgiveness for you, which is available to you and through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That is why we're able to forgive others because we have been forgiven. And so that is a, a basis of understanding. If you remember over the rest of this night, just remember that because it's a platform that you build your foundation of your life on is that you have been forgiven much. You are to forgive much. And so we see here in John 13, 35, it says, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do you know if you did disciple of Jesus Christ? You just have to watch their life. You'll know if they have a Christ-like love for others, even for those who are difficult. Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So these are scriptures that you must memorize, you must remember, and you must apply and practice, as we see, in a discipleship of Christ. That is what we're to do. The great and foremost commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, or with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
That second commandment that we read there in Matthew also talks about the love your neighbor as you already love yourself. Yes, you do love yourself. Now, some of you will say, I don't love myself. But you really do love yourself. You think nothing but always about yourself. Now, it may not be good things that you're talking thinking about yourself, but you do focus upon yourself quite nicely and easily. The first statement may sound simple to do to love God, but the reality of loving God with such an intensity as a disciple of Christ, with a sense of intensity, it is directly linked. And let me say that again. It is directly linked to your loving others in a biblical manner. And I'm going to give you lots of scriptures tonight for you to do that. Now, we read Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. But we also have 1 John chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So, again, we're talking about a a brother who hates another brother is in darkness, is blinded in his eyes. That is not a state there you want to find yourself in my sister or my brother you do not want to find yourself where you get to a point where you hate someone else you are in darkness that is not a good thing that's a bad thing you will be stumbling and you're going to make some serious bad decisions in your walk with Christ first john chapter 4 verses 7 through 11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God is is, is so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then you jump down to verses 20 and 21, and it says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Again, very strong verses for us to take heed in, in regards to our interactions with our brothers and our sisters. So again, with this topic, we're going to bring it down into three parts. The first part is God's view. What is God's view on forgiveness? Well, I gave you some of those, but the first step as a journey, the step you must take in regards to forgiveness is step 51. And you must understand this principle that if you do not love others, you do not love God. We just read the scripture in 1 John 4. I didn't say that. That's what the the scripture says. If you do not biblically forgive others, you will not be forgiven by God. We see that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. 
And you can see it also in Mark, Mark 11. If you do not biblically forgive others, you will not be forgiven by God. Your forgiveness of others demonstrates your obedience of God's word. Ephesians 4.32, Colossians 13. Colossians 13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you so you also must do. It's not a question, I'll think about it. You must do. It's, it's a have to. It's not debatable, as my brother says. It's not debatable what the scripture says. Regardless of how you feel, we must do. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We must obey the word of God. And when you forgive others, you indeed indicate your gratefulness to God for his gracious forgiveness of you through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the result. You forgive others not because they deserve it, not because they can earn it, not because they've complied to everything you've asked of them because now you'll forgive them. No. You forgive because you have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, period. Next step. The next step is 52. That, that principle, that step in your journey must be truth. It must be applied as well. And that is do not judge others by your own standards, or perspectives, or experiences. You cannot say, I will forgive them by judging them if you've met all of your qualifications. From my perspective, I don't think he really did. You know, I should forgive him. Well, then you're wrong. He's not meeting the standards that I think he should meet to convince me that I should. No, that's not what the scripture says. My experience is, I'm not sure that this is that I should forgive him. Well, then you're wrong because you're not obedient to the word of God as a child of God. John 7, 24, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Yes, there are qualifications. There's some things we need to look at in regards to a person's life, but you must forgive. You will be judged in the same, very same manner, the same way you judge others, you will be judged Matthew 7, Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. It says here, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measurement you use, it will be measured back to you. Now that's a warning to you and I. If you're trying to de debate on how you're going to forgive someone and you're going to judge the decision on that based on your own merits and your own, or your own perspectives or your own standards or your own qualifications and, and, and hoops they have to drive through, be very careful because you will, the scripture says, will be judged the same way. Be very, very careful. Very important we keep 
our focus on what the scripture tells us. We also see here in the next step, step 53 in our journey, is even when you are worshiping the Lord and you remember that someone, someone, Again, someone in the inner circle, someone in the outer circle, someone close, very close to you, someone who's a distance from you, doesn't matter who, a coworker, for instance, has something against you, you are to cease your worship and go and seek reconciliation and then return to your worship. We see that Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother, again, could be anybody, has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So right here in this example, it's speaking to a brother or a sister in the Lord and you're sitting there at the altar and you're worshiping and something, you... You, you have to make it right. Reconcile, if possible. You, if you've done wrong to someone, you have to make that right. The quicker, the better you can do that. Here in the scriptures, stop right there. Your worship, I, I'm not going to listen to you. Go deal with what you did, did with that brother, that sister of yours. Go deal with that, and then you can come back. How important that is. And you are commanded in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to eliminate divisions among believers. There's divisions among believers. You are commanded, if you're causing the division, to, to, to stop being that division. And since the unity of the body of Christ is from and in the Holy Spirit, unity of mind and the unity of the purpose should characterize believers. As believers, as we gather together, we should be in unity. The love for one another. Gracious, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness. These things should be among the brethren, among the sisters, within the body of Christ. There should not be division. The enemy would love to cause division. The enemy will get in the minds of people, our brothers and sisters, and they will cause division. But once the Lord has shown them they've caused division, they have a choice. Stop the division. That's it. Or you're going to be judged. The Lord's going to judge you based on how you're doing things. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That's what the Lord is saying to us. That's what we're supposed to do. You can go back and read Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2 as well. And I've got many others if you have questions, if you're still not sure you're real jiggy with the, that, that step in your journey that you need to apply, then let me know. We'll be happy to spend more time with you on that. So those are three steps around God's view regarding forgiveness. What's our hope? If we're struggling with unforgiveness, what is our hope? 
Well, the, that step is step 54, and it, it means that God has enabled you to forgive others. Did you know that? As a, as a child of God, God has enabled you to forgive others. It's based on Ephesians 4.32. But you can love even your enemies, the scripture says. Yes, you, even your enemies who come drastically against you. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. I'll read it for you because I think it's significant. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now that list alone right there says there's no way I would forgive those people who are using me. Well, then you need to continue to grow. That's why you're here listening. <laughs> it's because you need to grow. You're not there yet. God has to do a work in you. He's now preparing you. He's already telling you. There's hope in you for you for your serious problem of sin of unforgiveness. That God can forgive that and has forgiven that in your life. Now move forward and practice forgiveness. Then we, we pick that back up in verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do you not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is your, that's the standard for us, is to be like our Heavenly Father who is perfect. We must continue to grow, but He has enabled us to be able to forgive. How many times over the years in the ministry I've heard, I don't think I could ever forgive him. I don't think I could ever forgive her. I don't, for, I, I don't think I could, I could ever forgive them. Well, as a Christian, then you are biblically out of line. You're choosing not to forgive. God tells us we must get out of that sin of unforgiveness and move in the direction of God's perfect, perfect will, and that is for us to forgive. And because he's enabled us to do that, that's our hope. That he gets. You can't do it in your own strength. But God can do it by his strength. That's why you can do it. It's because he can bring that through your life to full fruition. Both forgiveness and biblical love are not dependent upon your feelings. It's not dependent upon your feelings. But upon an act of your will. It's upon your will to make that decision. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ compels us. Because he, we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. Why can we do this? Because our will, we want to be in God's will, and his will is for us to forgive those who come against us. 
We see in 1 John chapter 4, again, verses 10 and 11. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then jump down to verse 21. And this commandment we have from him that we that he who loves God must love his brother also. And I read that again for you because God is our propitiation. He paid for the penalties of our sins. We've been forgiven. And because of that tremendous grace of love upon our lives, we must do the same. We must be like our heavenly father toward others. Verse John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. We must act upon the will and our will to be in line with God's will when it comes to forgiveness as you respond to God's love to you. As God, as you spend time with God regarding this of forgiveness, allow it be the Spirit of God to do that work in your life where it is now pouring out of forgiveness, of unconditional love, and out toward those who've come against you, or it's hard to forgive. Now, understanding God's forgiveness, God's forgiveness is truly an outpouring of his grace upon your life. It's an outpouring. It's, 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 it's this outpouring of abundant grace and mercy. That's why we see his mercies are new every morning. And it provides this pardon to the guilty. His grace is he's shown a pardon. He's taken the pardon for the guilty. And although God's forgiveness does not necessarily release the offender, God has forgiven you. You have been pardoned from your, from your sentence of death. It doesn't stop you as the offender or the, those, the one that's been pardoned. It does not free you necessarily from the physical or the material consequences of your sin. God, please forgive me. I'll give my life to you. Just don't let this happen to me. And it doesn't happen. He's, he's freed you. But then all of a sudden you still face the consequences of the physical and material consequences because of the sin that has been brought upon you. But you have been provided by grace the release from the guilt of the wrongdoing. You've been freed from the guilt of wrongdoing because you've been saved by grace. But there are times because of that sin, it's brought upon material and physical and mental anguish or consequences still. And even then, by God's grace and mercy, he can walk you through those difficulties. Now, for you and I to practice biblical forgiveness you and I must understand and accept God's grace of forgiveness of us. That he's forgiven me. 
And because he's forgiven me, I must now follow his example and provide forgiveness to others. That's my response. And that must be all of our response. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. He's been forgiven, shown grace by God. However, verse 14, however, David, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. David didn't die, but it resulted in someone else dying, unfortunately. There was a consequence that came. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, verses 10 through 14. It says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. And one more for you. In Romans 8.1, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How important how we walk in the Spirit and in truth. So the nature of God is to forgive sins. Amen? His nature is to forgive sins, and you cannot forget that understanding of who God is. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17 says, But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. When's the last time you read Nehemiah? Is that a, not a gem of verses right there in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 and 17? In the Old Testament, speaking of the grace and the mercy of God? Yes. Psalm 86, 5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. What a wonderful song 
A wonderful psalm to meditate upon. Every type of wrongdoing can be forgiven by God. Every type. Even those who say, God would never forgive me for this. Oh, you're wrong. If you call upon his name. There's only one that he does not forgive. He doesn't accept. There's one that he does not accept. All the wrongdoings he will forgive. But there's one that he will not. And that is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we see in Matthew 12, Mark 3, that this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an attribute of the works of God to Satan or the fact that Satan is coming back through and is working in that person who's blaspheming the work of God. Matthew 12, let's just take verse 31 and 32. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy you will be forgiven, will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, what kind of forgiveness of the type of sins that God would forgive? Well, the first one is he forgives iniquity. Iniquity is that lack of integrity, that lack of honesty, the lack of justice. God will forgive you of those iniquities in your life. How about the for he forgives transgressions? Where you know it's wrong, but you cross over the border anyway and do it. Those are transgressions. You knew better. You knew you weren't supposed to, but you crossed the border from right to wrong and did it anyway. God is willing to forgive you. And of course, the forgiveness of sin, which is missing the mark of God's perfection. That self-centered lawlessness that dominated our lives God will forgive you of that sin. He was ready to forgive you while you were still his enemy. We see that in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Even while we're still enemies, God died for you died for me, willing to forgive. And we also know God's nature is that he forgives you out of his mercy and grace and not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, because we, we don't deserve his forgiveness. There's no way we could ever earn his forgiveness. That's impossible. But God's willing to forgive us. Ephesians 2, 
verses 4 through 7, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he, has, he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The grace of God is the nature of God regarding the forgiveness of sin in one's life. Now when God does forgive you, you must understand he forgives completely. How many times I hear when people who are still just early in the beginning or even been going for the longest time and cannot fathom the fact that God would forgive them. That yes, he would forgive me on these things, but these things are so horrible, I can't forgive myself. How could God forgive me? I've heard this so many different ways of people saying that. Go back and read Psalm 103, verses 10 and 12. Or Jeremiah 50, verse 20. Or Romans chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Or Romans 8, verse 1. And then 8, verses 33 and 34. I give those additional scriptures to you because I know that you might be dealing with the issue of how can God completely forgive me? Or you're working with someone, you're discipling someone, and they, you're having a tea with them, and they're saying, how could God completely forgive me? I cannot understand that. Take those scriptures. Do not tell them your own words. Read those scriptures to the person you're discipling. I'll read one for you, and that is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you only remember one verse and memorize one verse when you're trying to help someone, memorize 1 John 1.9. The completeness of God's forgiveness is revealed without a question. Because you understand this, when God has completely forgiven you, God forgives you, you are changed. You are changed. You are changed at your spiritual birth, that born again experience, you are changed. When you're changed, that means you've been forgiven. God establishes a new relationship with you as your father and removes the judgment of condemnation from you. Amazing grace. Amen? Is that settled in your heart tonight, though? Hearing it, you're like, oh, that sounds so good, but have you settled it in your heart that that speaks of you as a child of God? That when he, when you just 
responded to the knocking at the door of your heart and said, come into my life and take over. Forgive me. You've been born again experience. Then you are now as a child of God, you have a heavenly father that loves you and has pardoned you and has forgiven you and completely you've been cleansed. And that condemnation, the judgment has now been removed. And your father takes this child that is his. And what is a brand new, what does the father do with a brand new baby? If he has an opportunity, but cleanses that baby. Washes that baby clean. From all unrighteousness, as you confess your sins to him, as we read in 1 John 1.9. So when God forgives you, you are changed. When God forgives you, he no longer deals with you according to your sin. Psalm 103.10 Instead, he covers your sin. Psalm 32.1 And blots it out. Completely wipes it out, blots it out. And we see that in Psalm 51 9. Isaiah 43 25. Isaiah 44 22. We see here in the scripture that he completely blots it out for you and I. So the Heavenly Father no longer sees sin in your life as a child of God. He's now working on you to mold and shape you and teach you and train you to bring and raise you up from a child, a brand new baby, into a mature person. And the Father's not going to give up on you. This Father's going to be diligent and has an eye on you 24-7. He's not like a father today that says, oh, let the child grow up and they'll experiment and they'll kind of go let give them freedom and let them do their thing and whatever they want to do as long as they're happy. No. Your heavenly father looks right up and says, I have expectations, young man, and these are the expectations and I'm going to be gentle and kind and gentle and long-suffering, but over time you're going to get it. But he doesn't allow you to go too far away from your rebellion. Or he's going to deal with it. There's going to be correction. How many fathers today need to learn from their heavenly father how to raise God's child accordingly. Also, we see that when God forgives you, he no longer will charge the guilt or the condemnation of your sin to your account. It's been completely wiped out. There is nothing in your account to be condemned or guilty of or charged. And we also see when God forgives you, he removes your sin from you and from his presence. He doesn't want to see any sin in you and promises not to remember it against you any longer. We see that he will never remember that sin against you in Hebrews 10, verses 14 through 18. Let me ask you a question. How much did it cost you for God to forgive you? 
How much did it cost you? Nothing. It cost you nothing. You might think it cost you because you had to give up the old life. That old shirt, raggedy old shirt that seems so comfortable on you. Don't get me wrong, I love t-shirts that are all well worn in. If it's, around, if it's over 30 years old, you know, or 20 years old, it's pretty a good shirt. You don't want to get rid of it. But God says, oh no, that, that's got to go. God's forgiveness cost you nothing. But it was very costly to God. Very costly to God. And you can go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that, he, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And also God never withholds forgiveness when sins, any wrongdoings, are confessed in a sincere and biblical manner. He will forgive you. We see that again back in 1 John 1.9. Now, once you understand this, how do you respond to this, to God's forgiveness? Well, you are to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. Once you realize you've been forgiven and how much you've been forgiven, your proper response is to absolutely willingly grant forgiveness Whenever another confesses sin to you, you, you just will be willing to confess or willing to forgive. And you will forgive any type of sin, just like God has forgiven any type of sin. No matter how severe or devastating it might seem to us, we still forgive that. Because God did the same. And forgiveness on the basis of grace and not on the merit of the person to be forgiven. You're going to do it by grace, not based on what they did or did not do to be able to try to earn it. And then you need to have an expected, renewed relationship with that person, with the one who is forgiven, to renew that relationship and recognize that it may cost you dearly when you grant that forgiveness. But we must do what God has done to us. We must completely forgive. You're not to remind the forgiven person of his or her sin in any accusing manner. Even though it may not be appropriate to release the offender from all the consequences of his sin, the only reason to remind anyone of his sins is for restoration or teaching purposes. Even then, if you are to use the past sin of that person, you must do it for a restoration or a teaching person, a purpose, but it must be in the spirit of gentleness when you do it. You must forgive others in your heart. You must, in your mind, forgive that person even before they asked to be forgiven. And we see that Mark eleven, twenty-five. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Do you understand that? If God says you need to forgive that person, 
and it comes into your mind, you must immediately forgive. Forgive that person immediately. Even though they haven't even come back to even ask for forgiveness, you are to forgive them. That's what the scripture tells us. Forgiveness is an act of obedience to the Lord. It's not out of self-will. It is a surrendered will to God to forgive and act out of obedience to the Lord and just to forgive and be granted from the heart to forgive. And when we forgive, <laughs> I think we, this is a point that we must remember because as preparing for this, it re, I was reminded that forgiveness gives the offender what he needs rather than what he deserves. We need to help that brother or sister. Because forgiveness is the love of Jesus Christ in action. When you forgive, Christ is in action in and through your life. And when you do that, it is such importance that we understand not to keep a record of wrongs suffered by those people. Don't keep record. I remember when you did this to me back in... No, don't keep record. 1 Corinthians 13.5, don't keep record. Not gossip about a person's sins to others. Don't do it. You're sinning if you do it. Ephesians 4.29. You're not to dwell on the offenses uh, yourself. You're not to sit there and replay of all the things that they've done to you over the years and how they did this and treated you and this and that. Don't do it because it's going to hurt you. Philippians 4.8. And always be willing and open to restoring fellowship with the forgiven person or the offender. As far as is biblically possible. I make that, that point. As you cannot go back into fellowship with someone unless it's biblically done properly. Romans 12, 18 and 2 Corinthians 2 six through eight. Now you can forgive them. That doesn't mean you're going to restore fellowship with them. Did you hear me? You can forgive. That doesn't mean you're restoring fellowship if it's not done biblically. A couple more key points and we'll finish here tonight. Loving God without loving people is an impossibility. Did you hear me? Loving God without loving people is an impossibility. 1 John 4, verses 20 through 21. And forgiveness should include comforting those who have sinned. God may want to have you not only forgive them, but actually comfort them. Comforting those who have sinned and have repented, as well as reaffirming your love to them. And it could be a relationship that has been marred for years. And I can tell you, it could be many years, and all of a sudden, God works in the heart of a man 
who will want to reconcile and ask for forgiveness of the sin against you? And will you comfort him? And will you uh, show love of this repented heart of a man and reaffirm your love to them by the grace of God? That's what we must do. Because forgiveness is to be granted when requested without limitations. Will you forgive me? Yes, but. Yes, and if you... Then you didn't forgive. Biblically, properly. And when someone asks for forgiveness, you... Oh, yeah, I'll forgive you, but don't ask for restoration or rest, a restitution, I should say. You are to demonstrate mercy and love toward him with the goal of reconciling with him. And then finally, refusing to forgive. Can't miss this part because it leads us into restoration in the next week. And that is refusing to give because you are commanded to forgive others. You're not, this, is not a, this is not a think about it moment. God says you must forgive others. It's a commandment. You sin when you refuse to forgive, James 4.17. James 4.17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Two, you should... Your base ingratitude for God's merciful forgiveness towards you when you do not forgive others. It really reveals in your heart that you are really not that grateful for God's forgiveness in your life because you have unforgiveness toward others. You need to get back right with God. And finally, one more finally tonight for me. God has your father, as your father, withholds his forgiveness. Let me say it again. God as your father, withholds his forgiveness of your everyday transgressions when you do not forgive others. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15. I'll read it to you. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your, your Father forgive your trespasses. That is a stark, stark warning to you and I. If you need another verse on that one, read Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Forgiveness, my brothers and sisters, spend time with the Lord. Find some quiet time and write anyone's name down you have not truly forgiven. And immediately make it right, not only make it right with God. Forgive them. Be set free. Because there's so many people in bondage over unforgiveness that it's caused anger and bitterness, the root of bitterness to take root in their hearts. And it destroys their lives. But do it biblically.